Welcome to another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon, afternoon Theologian. Here we are again, this time with Season, season five. five. Yeah, pretty exciting. We're going to go a, a different direction this time. Perhaps a little bit less heady, but not any less important. Oh, for sure. This is vital stuff. A little yeah. easier to talk about without getting into so much nomenclature and jargon and big words. Yeah. Those are all big words. <laughs> of course they were. And, and the good news is that you're kind of uh, relaxed and refreshed. You know, we took a week off because you had a little working vacation um, kind of almost impromptuly scheduled. Yeah, it was good. My wife decided it was good for us to sneak away from all the busyness of ministry calling and taking care of everybody else for just a few days. And so I took a working vacation. We went to a sweet little lakeside community of Ludington on Lake Michigan yeah. to breathe in the fresh air and uh, that water there is so clean and pure because it's low sodium and shark free. There you go. It sounds like it should actually be on a lake in Europe somewhere, you know, maybe yeah. not too far from Vienna. Yeah, that was loads of fun. We got to watch the SS Badger come in at night when it would show up. A nice touristy thing to do. Actually, you were not too far from the beach where your little cabin was. We were literally two blocks away so we could walk to the beach. I got some reading done. I got some studying in, no interruptions. So I've decided I was so productive that I'm just going to work remotely from Ludington every day. There you go. And then you can just swing back on Sunday mornings, do the service, and then head back out and uh, almost be an itinerant uh, pastor with your own congregation. Yeah, who needs to be involved with people anyway? <laughs> yeah, and if they need something, they can just come up and see you. <laughs> That's right, come to my cottage. You're welcome yeah. anytime. <laughs> we need restoration for the soul once in a while, and that was very restorative, and it was good. And sometimes we spouses need time to talk about things that we don't have time to talk about when we're busy doing everybody else's stuff. Yeah. And so that was good for our relationship as well. I, I highly recommend getting away for short periods of time for some restoration that way. Yeah. And uh, being in tune with your spouse is uh, at least equally as important as being in tune with everybody else that you're dealing with on a daily basis, because then yes. you've got a nice solid foundation from which you can draw strength and uh, work with each other to maintain all of those attitudes and understandings that you need when you're dealing with people who are in various levels of crisis or just uh, trying to deal with the day-to-day -day stuff. That was a good thing. Big amen to that one, because you got to prop each other up on your leaning side. Yeah, exactly. Used to say. And yeah. she'll prop you up more if you take time to prop her up. And this was a yeah. good propping up time. <laughs> Done properly, propping is good. Props to you for that one. <sighs> Well, as you already mentioned, we are getting into season five, mm -hmm. and our overarching theme for this is looking at some false teachings that are permeating our culture, mm -hmm. and not just the secular culture, but also the church culture. And so we're going to take a look at a variety of subjects, 
And we're going to start with one, which is a perfect transition from where we just came. Mm -hmm. And that is worldview doesn't matter. Yeah, it's just eh, whatever, it, it's going to be fine. And yet, we'll find that the problem here is that without a biblical worldview, any of the messages that are come from the pastor are going to be a distortion of the truth. Yeah, because if we're not interpreting, if we are interpreting scripture through a non biblical lens, then it's going to have errors in it. Yeah. And one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to look at scripture, we're going to find most of what we're talking about in the headlines that we find, you know, in the news today. And we're also going to, at some points, look at how this uh, relates to an eschatological view, and how we may be working our way towards those end times. Mm -hmm. I certainly feel that it could be. So well, the uh, the various elements to look at is the false teaching, what the problem is, what scripture talks about that, the headlines from which we've drawn our subject, and how it relates to things that may be happening in our not-too-distant future. Right. -oh. So uh, if worldview doesn't matter, uh, we have some problems. So why don't we look at what a biblical worldview is? That's the right place to kick off season five, because we need to frame the season by showing what a Christian worldview is made up of. So these are eight categories that we're going to present to you today that would establish what we would consider a biblical worldview. And uh, we're going to be hopping through these fairly quickly. We won't spend a great deal of time on each one. So this is just to frame the season so that you'll know what we're aiming at so that when we do dive into these headline relevant things in our culture war today, uh, you'll know how we're going to be tackling them. First of all, at the very beginning, one of the most important categories that we have to look at in a biblical worldview is our purpose and our calling, because every believer needs to understand that God created them for a holy purpose based on the saving work of Jesus Christ. Nothing that we can do, it's all what he did for us. And we get that, of course, from the Bible. And because I am a pastor, I know how important this one is. Every pastor needs to be called, have a strong sense of calling by God to the ministry, and that calling needs to be focused on sharing the gospel and equipping the saints to be able to do the same, to share their faith and to explain what this gospel is all about. That's what helps us fulfill the Great Commission. You know, I remember before I went to seminary, I had to meet with my pastor and talk about why I felt I was called to seminary, and he had some pretty tough questions for me. You know, he said, if you're going to be entering into the ministry, you have to be pretty certain that you have a calling from God to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I want to talk about that before I give my recommendation to the school to accept you as a student. That's good. Good for him. I'm glad he was holding you accountable to that and that you just didn't think, well, I think it'll be a fun experience. <laughs> now, I don't really want to be an adult yet, so I'm going to go to grad school. <laughs> right. And, and this was a pastor who was very well known in the denomination. He pastored a large church that had thousands of members. And yet he took the time to make sure that if I was going to be doing this, if he was going to be putting his recommendation or his mark of approval on the next generation of ministers, that it was, it was going to be real. Very good. Good for him. I know the one of which you speak, and he's a great guy. Uh, great, and he, great guy. he did have a personal care for those folks, even though he was a pastor of thousands. He looked at each individual as a precious person 
And I'm glad that he took that time with you. That's awesome. He had a pastor's heart and I believe he still does. Yeah, that's great. What's the next thing on our category list, Rick, that we should be thinking about if we're going to establish a biblical worldview? So within the biblical worldview, there has to be an understanding of where family and the value of life falls into our everyday experience. Mm -hmm. If we look all the way back to Genesis, we find that the first institution that God created was the family. You know, he made Adam, from him he made Eve. He expected them to have children, which they did. They created this family unit, and they, until the fall, they moved in the garden with him. And when we look at some of the other scriptures, we find that all human life is so valuable. I mean, God sent his only son to redeem each and every single person. And I believe that includes the unborn. Yeah, he sees us even before we are us. (laughs) And, And that's good to remember, because we know that every single person has that opportunity to be able to choose to accept that grace that he offers so freely. Yeah, even even though some of them, some people are not going to, the redemption is there for them, right? regardless of what their decision is. Precisely. So we know that we need a purpose and calling that has to be from the Bible's sense of our purpose and calling. We need to put an emphasis on the value of life and family. And then I think the third character quality or characteristic of a biblical worldview would be a view of God creation, and history. We need to know that God is who he says he is, and we ought to be able to dive into scripture and ask those questions and say, how can we know that? Because the Bible helps make that very clear to us. We need to know that God created everything that we call our world, and we need to know that history is first and foremost his story, history, his story, and how we fail to live up to his best because we're not holy and he is holy. That's all a very important part of a biblical worldview because it sets us up for the fix or the remedy for our greatest problem, which is sin. Yeah, and we look at the differing opinions on creation, whether it was 13.9576 billion years ago or (laughs) 6,000 years ago or somewhere in between. Right. And uh, I was taken aback a little bit by set of three guys who were talking about the images that came from the new space telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope. Mm -hmm. And they were looking at this particular point in space and how it related to the images we got back from the Hubble telescope and how clear they were. And in the background, there were these white specks. And they said, those are galaxies that we couldn't see at all in the Hubble pictures And there were all these galaxies out there beyond what we had ever seen before. And we look at creation. Every time we look further, we find more. And all those are galaxies like the one we live in, which has millions of stars in it, that the closest one is, you know, four light years away. And this is so much more. That's incredible. That's mind blowing. One of the commenters was kind of has a more secular take on the world and was saying, yeah, you know, we're looking back 13.3 billion years. And the other one says, and I was reminded of the scripture that says, you've made all of this and yet you are mindful of me. Makes us feel pretty small and it makes us marvel at his bigness. And yet he would choose to spend time and want to be related to us. That's fantastic. 
it, it is fantastic. So um, once we get the proper perspective on who God is and what he made and why he made it and how, how that plays out through history, Mm -hmm. Then we also want to look at how that relates to us perhaps today in what we would call faith practices. And there are you know, a variety of spiritual disciplines that we associate with Christianity, you know, mm -hmm. not the least of which is worship, whether that's privately or in a corporate setting, you know, how we look at the Bible and how we study it. Right. You know, another one might be prayer and how we spend our life relating to God, both you know, through our time of prayer and listening back to see what those answers might be. Another thing might be how we are fellowshipping with other believers and how that leads to ministry to others, whether that's in a corporate sense in a worship service or ministering to others beyond as we look at the needs of others that are in our sphere of influence. And we talked a great deal about that in uh, previous seasons. And then how does that relate to missions? You know, when we send out or we go out into the mission field and talk to people about who God is and what he's done for us, and if those are not on the right footing, then our worldview may be skewed. So we have to make sure that all of those are also perfectly aligned with what the Bible talks about. And then we look at the ordinances that Jesus gave us, which are baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion. And, uh, you know, we kind of took those two extremes a little earlier. <laughs> we get a little goofy talking about things that we have known that have happened in some churches where people get a little too legalistic about small things, and they kind of miss the main point, which is, what is this supposed to do for us? What's the purpose of this practice? For example, uh, I'll share one of them that I knew because I know the pastor really well in another church. He got in bad trouble by some of the older folks in his congregation one time because they were running out of those tiny little wafers they used to order from the local Christian bookstore. And so he said, well, what are we going to do? we got to have communion today. So he ran down to the grocery store before church real quick and got several packets of those little oyster crackers like you put in tomato soup. And he put those in the little dish on the table and they started passing those around. And boy, he heard about that afterwards. We can't have communion with oyster crackers. And he thought, well, why not? It's a symbol. The symbolism is very important, but what we use is not necessarily worth getting up in the pictures about. And then we also took to the extreme with the ordinance of baptism. And of course, you know, in the Baptist church, they follow Christ's example and do it by immersion. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus asked John the Baptist to baptize him in the river, and, you know, he got completely soaked, went under the water. Yeah. symbolizing what we say today is the death, burial, and resurrection. Yeah, the, uh, the symbolizing the resurrection and uh, raising to newness of life, as we often say. Yeah. And we thought, well, gee, if maybe we had a, a summer camp with a bunch of youth, we could just give them all super soakers and spray them down, and they'd be totally wet, just like they would be if they were immersed in the river or in the special baptistry that we find in so many churches today. I wouldn't be surprised if there are some uh pretty contemporary churches that may have tried that. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe they'll just put them out under a sprinkler when they're eight days old, and then we'll, we'll call it good. That could be. And as we get back to it, even though we're making light of these crazy situations, it is important for us to understand what the symbolism means and what the purpose of these ordinances are, these specific faith practices, especially in evangelical Christianity today, because they all point to the gospel and they help us remember what Jesus did for us. So they are vital to what we do. And rather than getting hung up on the outward 
manifestation of those practices. I think what's really important is what's the disposition of our heart related to the purpose of those practices. Exactly. So what's our next category? Next category, in addition to our purpose and calling, family and value of life, God, creation and history, and faith practices, then we also have as one of our categories, sin, salvation, and our relationship with God. And our meaning sinners, because all of us have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, which means that 100% of humanity falls into that category. And salvation, as we would see from a biblical worldview, is found in only one person, and that would be in Jesus Christ because of his shed blood for us. He became our substitution. He atoned for our sins by taking our place on the cross. And so appropriating his blood shed remission brings somebody back into a right relationship with God. That's the basic one-minute version of sin, salvation, and our relationship with God. And perhaps, you know, I don't want to say that the others are not as important, but this one from a personal standpoint may be the most important because it gets to the heart of our problem as sinners yeah. and how we need to appropriate that shed blood so that our sins can be forgiven because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin as we see in the New Testament and all the way back to uh, Egypt and the shedding of the blood and putting on the doorposts and so forth, which led to the Passover. Well all, said, all, you're right. All of those are so important. All of the characteristics give us our biblical worldview, but this one perhaps leads more closely to the solution to our personal problem. Right. It's crucial. Absolutely crucial. Number six is human character and nature, mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily nature meaning trees and bushes and those kind of things, but our human character and our human nature. Right. And all of us were created for a close relationship with God. We find that that moment of conception is not a mistake. That is something that has been ordained by God. And those particular elements that will form the child and become the person that he wants them to be uh, was ordained by him at that moment. But the problem with this is we have a sin nature that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, yeah. and that keeps us from that close relationship from God. That keeps it from happening because human character is flawed and can only be restored by a right relationship with Christ, which we've already talked about the method for that. Mm -hmm. And what we do find, especially in the world today, is human nature without God is absolutely contrary to him. Yeah. You know, we, we talked a little bit last week about how we are without excuse because even nature itself, I mean, the natural nature of the universe points us to him, and we tend to reject that in our own nature. Yeah, we do indeed, which is what brings us into such culture wars today, because anybody who has a sin nature that is opposed to God, Bible tells us that we actually become enemies of God, and we resist what he's trying to do to restore us into our right relationship with him. And, and boy, howdy, do we see that in, in the headlines every single day? Yeah, which is probably a good segue into number seven, character quality. Let me go back through them again real quick. We've got the purpose and calling, family and value of life, God creation and history, faith practices. Number five is sin, salvation, and a relationship with God. Number six, you've just mentioned human character and our sinful nature. And then number seven would be 
lifestyles, behavior, and how those things play into our relationships. Because our lifestyle choices and behavior are going to indicate where our hearts lie. And as the Bible would tell us, bad company corrupts good morals. So if we're giving into the culture rather than living a biblical worldview, we're going to be hanging out with the bad company, and our morals are going to be suffering because of that. Yeah, there's a couple of idioms that I've heard on each side of this equation. One of them is, show me who your friends are, and I'll show you who you will be. Hmm. Uh, another one it comes from the world of motivation and uh, living a better lifestyle, which is the people you hang out with as your mentors mm-hmm. will lead you into you know, where your lifestyle will be in five years. There you go. That's so true. And we want to surround ourselves with the kind of mentors. So it would be like a Paul was to Timothy, have somebody who's been walking that journey for years who will be pouring into our lives with the truths that come from a biblical worldview. Which leads immediately to the concept of discipleship and how new converts need those, like I said, those mentors, those examples in life to build the kind of character that they will need later on to, to be and become a strong Christian and then influence others, you know, as we move down through the spiritual lineage as we find new Christians becoming mentors and disciplers of new Christians and then repeating that cycle again and again. And then, of course, and this really kind of smacks of the basis for all that stuff, number eight brings us to the Bible, truth, and morals. Mm -hmm. You know, if we don't have a solid understanding of what the Bible is as the Word of God, if we look at, you know, John 1, 1, we see that the word was with God and the word was God. Right. So that to me says that the absolute incarnation of God's word was Jesus. Then when we look at God's word, then we must have an understanding of what it is, you know, how it's true. It is the source of all truth. It is all truth. And from that, our morals come And since we're going to be talking about headlines and things that are current, I could probably insert here, this is a good example that's happening right here today, because just very recently, a man who's getting a lot of attention in YouTube these days, Jordan Peterson, he's a brilliant guy, but he had previously not really considered himself a believer, a Christian, but he is now coming right out and saying it. No, I've had a conversion. I am a believer in Christ. And what he says about the Bible is so important because he had visited the Bible Museum, and he said, if you can trace all the best ideas back to their original sources, they may be similar to but slightly different from the origination of these ideas. You need to try to trace them back as far back as you can get. And he says, what do we have that's the source of all the best ideas? It's the Bible. That's the source of all wisdom. So he's starting to say things that are starting to bring us into this worldview and saying, yes, he's agreeing with what we've been saying all along now, the Bible is the source of all truth and wisdom, and that's going to affect our morals, which are ultimately dependent on our understanding of these biblical principles. Yeah, you said he's a brilliant guy, way more brilliant than I am, but he has the ability to take some of those really deep concepts and bring them right home. And the story of his conversion is, is really quite interesting yeah. and uh, very much worth listening to his pre-conversion mm-hmm. topics and his post-conversion topics equally brilliant coming at you from two different perspectives, one a secular worldview and now from a biblical worldview. 
That's great. And I'll also put in another plug for something that we just watched last week. So this is current as well. It's The Most Reluctant Convert. It's available on Prime, for those of you Prime users. I'm sure on other platforms as well. But it's a, a autobiographical presentation with Max McLean as the actor portraying C.S. Lewis. And it's him telling his own story about how he wrestled his way through all these difficulties of coming from atheism and to becoming a, a fully-fledged believer that Jesus Christ had to have been who he said he was. And it's a brilliantly done piece. I loved it. It was a great movie. It was uh, well worth the watch. So we've got two people that are both brilliant, Jordan Peterson today, C.S. Lewis, who is one of our most intelligent Christian writers. Uh, you think about Narnia and some of his other writings as well. And look those two guys up if you're not familiar with them, because you need to understand that what we're talking about in a Christian worldview, it's based on evidence, and it's based on intelligent people thinking their way through these things. And it's interesting to see that the most intelligent people that we come across will often work their way through and discard old thought patterns and old worldviews and come something new when they are actually confronted with the, as you say, the evidence and the facts for not only the historic Jesus, but the biblical Jesus as well. Can't deny it once they look into it with enough depth to see exactly who Jesus is, who he said he was, and who he now is in their own life. Yeah. So we've looked at eight different categories of a biblical worldview, but as we said, we'll start looking at some of the headlines, and what we see is uh, America is in some real trouble. Yes, there's a study yes. that gives us some, some foundational thoughts on that premise. Yeah, this is eye-opening, and it quite frankly, it doesn't surprise me all that much, Rick, that some of these stats that you're going to give us here in just a second, because I was in a ministerial association years ago at a previous church before I came to the one that I'm serving right now, and we had probably about 20 pastors in our local area that would meet once a month for fellowship and to talk about what's going on in our churches, where's God at work, how can we pray for one another? And there was a new guy in town who was at a mainline denomination, and he showed up, and we kept talking about things like, is there something we can do together that would be on mission, that would show unity among the believers and stuff like that? And he said, quite frankly, I'm not interested in being on mission with anybody. I'm interested in hearing the differences that we all hold so we can learn from one another. And, you know, I, that's not a bad purpose, but you could tell he didn't want anything to do with being on mission for the gospel. And I asked a few questions, and it became very apparent that he was a professional pastor. He had credentials. He had been to school, but he didn't believe that Jesus was actually the Son of God. And so I thought, can you do that? Can you be a pastor for that? <laughs> and that brings me to that story that I had shared with you earlier about somebody in New York when we lived there for a short time, and my wife was in a home Bible study with some ladies. And one of the ladies had been on the search committee for their church. And she said, yeah, we in the search committee decided we were going to hold out for a believing pastor. She said, a, a believing, like in what? She goes, in Jesus. And Joy was dumbfounded. She said, you mean that there are pastors who don't believe? Oh, yeah, there's plenty of them. <laughs> well, what do they teach? Oh, all about community and let's get along with each other. And we have these traditions that we do together that make us feel good about ourselves. And she said, but we held out and we've got a believing priest in our parish right now. And she went, wow. <laughs> well, and 
and the statistics I'm about to share are absolutely eye-opening um, for those of us who have been fortunate enough to sit under pastors who have had a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. So we're going to look at these stats on pastors who hold a biblical worldview. And overall, this recent study, and I mean, this is just in the last year or so, only 37% of currently practicing pastors hold a biblical worldview as we just outlined. 37%. 37% is about one in three, maybe four in 10, which means six churches out of every 10 are not being led by someone with a complete biblical worldview. And it gets worse. In associate pastors, it's only 28%. Those who are considered teaching pastors, it's 13%. Youth pastors, 12. And executive pastors, only 4%. One in 25. Yikes. It's crazy. And if we start to look at how that relates in a denominational sense, in non-denominational or independent churches, Mm -hmm. We get an increase to 57%, still just a little bit above half. Yeah. Overall, across all of the various Baptist denominations, it's just less than half at 48. Wow. The strongest denomination is the Southern Baptist uh, Convention, which has 78, or almost 8 out of 10, mm-hmm. have a, a biblical worldview. Wow. And it goes way downhill from then. And the lowest is that among Catholic priests at only 6%. One of the things that came to my mind as you were going through those stats is something that God kind of brought about in a pretty miraculous way, quite frankly. One of our supported missionaries for our small congregation was starting a new work of pastor training in Haiti. And that was several years ago when it was still safe enough for us to get a team down there. And we started joining a couple of other churches so that there would be at least one quarterly training of local pastors, helping take them through a four-year program similar to an extension of seminary. So they were getting good, strong biblical worldview teaching and Bible teaching because some of their preaching down there was just really out there. And the first graduating class uh, had more than 50 pastors out of that group, and each of those 50 represented at least 200 people that they were serving in their congregations. So we know that that first graduating class is affecting 10,000 people in Haiti right now. And the second class has been going through, I don't think that they have quite gotten to their graduation just yet. And things got dangerous and they had to pull back from doing that for a while. But our translator, who's also a pastor down there, knows the material well enough that he went ahead and did one of the trainings by himself, which is great because it means that they're actually training themselves now. And we desperately need that because these figures that you've just given us, these stats are alarming. It doesn't necessarily translate into uh, the size of the church, Mm -mm. because we find that it's the smaller churches that seem to have the more biblically founded pastors in them. If you have a less than 100 in your congregation, chances are about four out of 10, 41 Mm percent of those churches have a biblically founded pastor. In churches between 100 and 250, it's 45%. And then it drops off dramatically. Between 250 and 600, it's only 14%. And over 600, which includes all of those mega churches with those 
10,000, 20,000, 100,000 members, mm -hmm. it's only 15% of those pastors have a solid biblical worldview. So how many people are getting error in their teaching every Sunday morning? That is scary. And there are some that would actually preach nice things that make you feel good about yourself, but they're leaving out things like sin and the consequence of sin and separation from God and the need for reconciliation with God and the need for a savior, which means that they're really not preaching the gospel. So even though it's a feel good kind of message, tickling the ears, as the Bible might say, they're missing out on the gospel, which means that they could be actually lulling people into this sense that they're okay when they're missing what they need most, which is salvation. And that's really scary because that's yeah. some very large numbers in those kinds of churches. Yeah. When one of those particular pastors was called out on it, he just said, yeah, I don't really want to talk about that with my congregation. Oof. And yeah. as you say, that if they think they're okay, but they've never had a life-changing experience with Jesus and the salvation that comes from the shed blood for the forgiveness of sins, if they're not acknowledging that they have that sin, then they are in a, in a precarious position, yeah. and it's that pastor's fault. And we see in the Bible also that the pastor is going to be judged more harshly because of what he's teaching his congregation. He will be, he or she. That, that's so true. These pastors will be held accountable to that. That's scary to me. That, that's why I get with fear and trepidation. It drives me every week because I want so much to be as biblical in my worldview and stance and what I'm presenting on Sunday, because I'm going to stand before God someday, and I'm going to have to give an account for how I try to share the gospel with other people. And here's a primary danger, I think, of believing that worldviews really don't matter all that much. Because without a biblical worldview, any message coming from a pulpit or in a church of any kind, from whatever that pastor might believe, even if that pastor belongs to a recognized denomination or a, a large mainline denomination, it's going to be a distortion of truth. And that distortion can lead to people being lost in their sins and dying that way. And that's serious. I mean, the stakes are really high. So interpreting scripture through a non-biblical lens cannot help but lead to error, which is why having a biblical worldview, we think, is really vital. We think it's one of the most important things we can do as a disciple is to look into the Bible and make sure that we're trying to look through the lens of the Bible in how we look at the world. Well, even when both you and I were in seminary, which was now 40 years ago, we were talking then about how some of the seminaries were turning very liberal and not teaching a biblical worldview. And these were even some of the sister seminaries to the one that we attended. Right. So, but some of those other denominations that were already out in left field a little bit were probably even more so now. And so the pastors are being trained in a worldview that's not consistent with what the Bible says. Yeah. So we're just cranking out even more leaders like that. I think yeah. there's another thing that we've seen because of the mega church explosion over the last 30 years is that we get executive pastors who are really kind of trying to call the shots on what's going to bring people in. How are they going to make enough money to continue to grow? Because it's all about growth, growth, growth. And they're really not talking about spiritual growth. They're talking about numeric growth. Not that God can't grow churches numerically. He can, and he does. But when our focus gets away from a biblical worldview, and it's primarily on growth and what, how we're going to pay the bills so we can add more staff, 
then we start having a Fortune 500 company corporate mentality toward what our churches are like. And it's all about keeping the machinery going rather than about how are we living out the gospel in a holistic fashion so people can see Christ more clearly in us. Yeah, and I've been a member of a couple of pretty good-sized churches, you know, measured in the multiple thousands, and one of them 10,000 plus. Mm-hmm. And yet, in both of those churches, I feel like the, the pastors were on point yeah. because yeah. they would say, we want to reach as many as we can, but it's not about the numbers. Right. It's about right. the quality of the Christian life that we can build in each of the congregation members. I agree. And mm-hmm. I I'm, have seen that in the one that you're talking about because I've played trombone in their orchestra on a couple of occasions. And I know that one. And I knew that pastor well, the one who poured his life specifically and personally into your life. And there's one we have kind of in our backyard in this area too. And I've met with that pastor and I really think they get it right. I think they really are on track with the gospel and trying to plug people in to develop a biblical worldview, even though they are very large in number. So there are some out there. I I don't want to paint the broad brushstroke and think that just because a church is large, it's bad. That's not what I'm saying at all. No, and we see from the numbers, at least one in six has a pastor that's got a solid worldview. We see that in those large churches, if they're doing it right, if they are constantly looking at ways to fulfill the Great Commission, which that one did, another one that that we attended um, a few years after that, same thing. It was, we need to be reaching the lost, we need to be equipping the saints so that they can do the work of the gospel. And without that, it's just a country club. It's just a social club. We come meet on Sunday morning, we go to to our Sunday school class, and they tickle our ears, and we have donuts, Mm -hmm. and it's really nice, and then we go home, and we forget about it until 8 o'clock next Sunday morning. Right. And you might as well join the Shriners or the Rotary Club or whatever other kind of local club you can join that's doing good things for the society. And I don't disparage the good things that people are doing. You know, if they're building hospitals, if they're getting scholarships to kids for school, that's a great thing. But that's not the church. And that's not a biblical worldview. That's a social club. And the church should not be just a social club. Yeah, that's not the mission of the church. And if you see churches that really put the gospel first, it's a holistic gospel, which means that they are doing all those things for people. They're building hospitals, they're building schools, they're educating people, they're championing the rights of people who need to have somebody step in and come alongside them and help them because they don't have a voice on their own. All these things are happening because of people who are transformed by this gospel of Jesus Christ. And what you just described there is the manifestation of a complete biblical worldview, Yeah, because it has to do with the relationships we build through our actions, through meeting the needs of others, that will build that foundation, will build a relationship between one person and another that earns the right for them to talk about what Jesus did. So that's the basis, folks. That's what we've got cooking for season five right now. We're going to talk about these eight categories. They're going to come into play in all these false teachings that we're going to be bringing up because they're right out of the headlines. As Rick said, they're relevant. So we're going to talk about the purpose and calling from a Christian worldview family and the value of life, God, creation and history, faith practices, sin, salvation, and relationship with God, human character and sin nature, lifestyles, behavior and relationships, and the Bible, truth and morals. They're all going to come into play as we look about these false teachings that we're going to be tackling in this next uh, 15, 16, 17 weeks, however long it takes long it takes because we may be adding to the list we already have because the headlines are going to give us more ideas 
But before we close, I think it would be good for us to walk through a couple of things because it's possible that some of our fellow theologians have had an eye-opening experience today and said, maybe my worldview is not 100% correct and I need to be working on that. And then it's also possible that one or more of them have said, you know, I've never really taken that step and confronted my sin and appropriated the shed blood, which will provide that forgiveness. So perhaps we need to pray with those people right now. Let's do that. I'll pray. Lord, I'm praying for that person right now who has considered themselves a believer, and yet they start to recognize that maybe they've been influenced by the world a little bit more than they might have thought. And they recognize that they want to dive in even deeper and develop a strongly biblically influenced worldview so that they're really looking through the lenses of Jesus Christ. They want to get to know Jesus through the Bible in such a way that their whole worldview is transformed so that everything they look at is coming at it from God's perspective and not from the world's perspective. And I pray that they will take whatever steps are necessary to start doing that. They'll surround themselves with fellow believers who are also on that journey and helping each other, keeping themselves focused on the Bible and how they can learn from it so that we can know you better. And I pray that you'll just ignite something in them, a passion from your Holy Spirit that would keep them in the Word and excited about learning new things about you so that they can share this good gospel with the people in their world as well. And then for that person who might be thinking, I need to take that first step and place my life in Jesus' care. They could say a prayer something like this, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot work my way to heaven. I know that you are the one who provided a way of salvation for me, a way of reconciliation because I'm separated from you because of my sin. And so I appropriate that by faith right now by just saying, I do believe and I want to follow you. Thank you for pouring out your saving grace on me. But I also thank you that you're going to be walking beside me and filling me with your Holy Spirit to transform me from the inside out. And I pray that you will be my guide spiritually as I continue to walk in developing a spiritual and a biblical worldview. Thank you that you do that and that I'm not alone because there are plenty of other people who believe this way and that I can walk with them on this journey. And thank you for salvation, which is going to be there not only now, but also in eternity, where I'm going to be forever because you're preparing a place for everybody who believes. I believe, and I'm grateful for your salvation. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, we covered a lot of ground today. We did. That's a pretty good framework for what we're going to look at in this season. And there's a lot to it. But as you can see, these categories help us understand how we're going to be tackling all these things that we would consider a false teaching because it's not coming from a biblical worldview. And I think it's going to be fun. And I think that as we look at um, the various topics we've already discovered, I think we're going to open some eyes, perhaps our own as much as anyone else's. Mm -hmm. And we're going to hopefully instill in others some of the positive teachings, the correct teachings, yeah. because it's easy to get off track. Oh, yeah. Just a little bit can have a, a big consequence, not only in our own life, but in those who are in our sphere of influence. And I know that both you and I want to be putting forth that which is truth, right. as opposed to anything that might keep someone away from uh, the Savior and the salvation that they so desperately need. 
Absolutely. And everything we do is coming from the motivation of God's love. He loves you so much that he would lay down his life for you in the form of Jesus Christ. So nothing of what is coming out of our mouths related to a worldview, in my opinion, is motivated by hate. The only thing we hate is Satan. And so we want you to avoid things that would hurt you, which is why we love you enough to want to share truth. That's our motivation. And we, we don't want to be those mean people who are always shaking their finger at other people and talking them down. And uh, we want to lift up Jesus Christ. That's our main purpose and our real motive here is to point people to the gospel. And that points to Jesus because he loves you so much that he gave his life for you. Yeah. And even if it feels like we're stepping on your toes, it's based on the ultimate best that we want to instill in your life through what Christ has done for you on the cross. Yeah. He does live within us through his Holy Spirit, which we can't live without. And we want the same for you. Absolutely. And I have felt that quickening in my spirit when a pastor has been speaking, and I know that the Holy Spirit has been doing something to stir up something in there. And I pray that that will happen with you on many of these topics that we'll be talking about, because the Holy Spirit's still stirring us up in a good way. Yeah, we're praying that he will move like a hurricane. You know, we saw that in Acts, how it was the sound of the wind was the Holy Spirit. We want to see that move across the earth and have a monstrous revival so that it just paves the way for the second coming, which we are looking forward to every day. No kidding. Hey, thanks for hanging in there with us. If you did, that must mean that you kind of like some of what we're putting down here. And I appreciate that. Thank you for that. Continue to hang in there with us through the rest of this season five and look up some of the resources that are freely available to you on our website, which is mondayafternoontheologians.podia.com. There are a few plays and some other things that you can also purchase very minimally. Uh, We're trying not to outprice any of that stuff, but a vast majority of the resources we have there for you for your spiritual growth are absolutely free because we think the gospel deserves to be shared with everybody, and we can't put a price on that. So what's the likelihood that we're going to be back next time? I give that a likelihood of about 98%. I'm only leaving 2% there because sometimes we have bad weather and we may have an electrical outage. But (laughs) aside from that, I think it's a very high probability that we'll see you again next time. And fellow theologians, we hope you'll join us again for another episode of Monday Monday Afternoon afternoon. Theologians. 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 Theologians.